We continue the Shear in Navi. After King David had slain Goliath the giant and had gained fame for himself, as we mentioned, he also gained the enmity of King Shaul, who was very jealous of him. And an evil spirit penetrated into King Shaul, a spirit that led him to commit acts that were inconceivable. After this victory, people came out to applaud King David, and in singing, they sang songs stating that King Shaul was great. He killed thousands. King David killed tens of thousands, meaning that praise for King David was higher than that of King Shaul, and King Shaul's jealousy reached an uncontrollable state. That night, as King David sat in front of him, King Shaul suddenly reached for his spear, and he threw it at King David. He missed him. King David felt that this must have been an error. So he stayed on, and he threw it a second time at him. This time, King David eluded the spear and fled. He felt very much hurt as to why King Shaul tried to actually kill him. This was an actual attempt to kill. So King David fled. Yonah's son, the prince, the son of King Shaul, felt very badly about this because Yonah's son liked King David more than any person in the world. The Yorah says that the Ahava between Yonah's son and David HaMelech were incomparable, unparalleled in history. It was the purest Ahava ever existing. And so Yonah's son praised King David in front of Shaul, trying to make peace with him. He pleaded with King Shaul as to why he tried to hurt King David. After all, he said, he brought you glory. He brought victory to the Jews. And so King Shaul swore that King David would not die. Note, again, we use the word King David, though he was not yet king. A king does not begin his reign until the former king dies. But, as we said, as a matter of respect to King David, who was one of the greatest Sadiqim of all time, we have to use that title. King David went out again and battled against the Philistines. He was victorious, and when he came back, again, King Shaul cast the spear at him. Despite his vow, he would not try to hurt him, and again King David fled. He went to his home, and there, Michal, the daughter of King Shaul, was waiting for him. And King Shaul was told that King David was home, so he sent men to the house to wait outside and get him in the morning as he would leave. Michal lowered him through a window, a side window, and that's how he escaped. Meanwhile, she placed articles in the bed, covered it with a blanket, to pretend that he was still asleep there. When the soldiers came into the house, she told them that King David was ill. He was lying in bed. They came back to report it to King Shaul, and he said to them, bring him here with the bed. They returned to the home, and of course they found that there was nothing in the bed but ordinary articles. And King Shaul sent for his daughter Michal, and he asked her, what kind of a daughter are you? You see that I want King David so badly, why do you assist him in escaping? And she said, well, he threatened to kill me. I had no choice. She figured that she'd better stay on the right side of King Shoal, so that in case King David would require her assistance later on again, she'd be able to help him. Meanwhile, King David went to Shmuel Hanavi, a prophet, and he hid out there for a while. Afterwards, he met with Yonah's son again, and they made a treaty, a pact between them to help each other. And King David asked Yonason again, find out what is wrong. Why is King Shoal so set upon killing me? 
Anderson said, I'll find out this time for sure. We went back home, there was a feast going on for Rishchadosh and Umun, and at this feast, he tested King Shaul and found that King Shaul was really sincere in his desire to kill King David. He reported this at the feast again. He spoke to King Shaul, pleaded for King David's sake, and this time King Shaul reached for the spear to throw it at Yonason. He did not throw, but Yonason walked out in anger. He went and reported this to King David. They met in the field, and they left. They parted very sadly. Now, from there, King David went to the city of Noveh, that was the city where the Kohanim were located. The Kohen Godel was Achimelech. He asked Achimelech for some help, giving him some food, since he was starving, actually. Achimelech said he had some warm chalas there, bread. And as for a weapon, he said, the only weapon we have here is the sword of Goliath. So King David took the bread and the sword of Goliath, and he felt that in order to be safe, he'd better go to the land of the Philistines to Ochish, the king of Gas, that was part of the Philistines. He'd be safer among the Philistines than close to King Shaul. He came to the city of Gas, and the Philistines were amazed. They couldn't believe their eyes. Here was their arch enemy, King David, killer of Goliath. They had a chance to capture him alive. So they took him. They reported to Ochish, we have captured the killer of Goliath. We have him alive. Achish said to them, that's impossible. How can you capture one who is that courageous and that fearless? You ordinary soldiers to capture one who is so great? I won't believe it until I see it, but make sure that you are not mistaken. And they said, we're positive, your majesty, we'll bring him in. They brought King David into the throne room. And King David saw in his wisdom that this would be instant death. They wouldn't give him a chance. So he used a trick that became very widely spread in use later on, to this day, in fact. He came close to King Achish. He looked at King Achish with glazed eyes, and then he said, what a nice beard you have. And he started to pull the beard of King Achish. Then he ran to the drapes, started to pull them down too. They started to act like a truly insane person. Achish looked on in disgust and said, this is what you call King David? Do I lack morons in this palace i have more than enough get this one out of here you'll pay for this and that's how king david escaped temporarily so he stayed there for a while finally he came to the cave of adullam it was a place in israel and there 400 men came to join him as his band these were 400 men who were all desperate they were in debt they had other problems troubles they joined King David out of desperation, and they formed his nucleus of his closest warriors for later on. This increased to 600 eventually. Now, the Navi, Prophet God, came to King David and said to him, Return to the land of Yehuda, that's where you belong. So he came to the forest of Cheres in the land of Yehuda. Shaul, meanwhile, was very angry at his servants. Slaves, servants, close followers, why don't you help me to get this King David? Are you trying to rebel against me just as he is? Well, one of them spoke up. This one's name was Doeg. Doeg was a very evil person who had been present in the city of Nova when Achimelech the Kohen Godel gave King David the bread and the sword. He told, he spoke this Russian horror evil slander against Achimelech. He told King Shaul 
that Achimelech was the one to blame for the escape of King David. Because he fed him, he gave him weapons, so Achimelech should be punished. King Shaul called Achimelech to him, and he accused him of helping King David. He said, you assisted King David, you gave him bread, a sword. Achimelech answered, well, why not? Isn't he the son-in-law of the king, the intended son-in-law? Isn't he the one who helped you in battle? Could you call him a rebel? Could you call him anything but the greatest assist, greatest helper, the highest person in your kingdom to bring you glory and victory? What's wrong with helping King David? Was I going against you by helping him, or was I showing my allegiance to you? And King Shaul said to him, You have helped my enemy, and for this you must die. So he turned to his general, Abner, general of King Shaul, and said to him, Kill this man, and kill his entire family. Abner stood back in shock. Abner, you call, was a very powerful gibbo, tremendously powerful. But he said, How can I lay a hand on a Kohen Godel, a holy person? I'm sorry, but I must reject this royal command. I will not do it. King Shola wasn't angry. He turned to Doeg and said, You have just trapped yourself because you helped me with this Lashon Hara. But I still feel disdain for a person who speaks Lashon Hara. And so, you're the one that will have to go through with it. One evil deed leads to another. I command you to kill Achimelech and his family. Doeg did not hesitate. He killed Achimelech, his entire family of 85 persons, except one young son of Achimelech, Eviasar, who escaped and fled to join King David. He became the Kohen Godel afterwards, together with King David. Then Doeg proceeded to wipe out the city of Nova. He killed every man, woman, and child in that city of Kohanim. This was the act of Doeg, the one of the worst people in history. In fact, the Gemara states that there are very few people who are listed officially in the Torah as never getting to Gennady, meaning that they remain in Gehenna eternally. One of those is Doeg. So, from there, Yasser came to King David. He told him about this. King David was very filled with sadness, this tragic turn of events. And he said to Yasser, I feel that I'm partially to blame for this, because I recall seeing Doeg there at the time, it didn't occur to me that this would turn out this way. However, stay with me, you'll be safe with me, and someday you'll be zochah to be the Kohen Godel in the Holy Temple. From there, King David heard the news that the Philistines were going to attack the city of Keilah, that was part of the land of Yehuda, and now that he had Yasser with the Chosha Mishpat, the chest plate of the Kohen Gudel, which has the letters on it that light up when speaking to Hashem. He asked, in this Chosha Mishpat, message to Hashem, should I go to battle against the Philistines in Kiva? And will I be successful? The answer came back, yes, go, and you'll succeed. So he went to battle against them. He was successful. Meanwhile, he heard, too, that King Shoal had discovered his whereabouts. So he asked the chest plate, Will the people of Keilah hand me over to King Shoal? And will King Shoal come to Keilah for me? The answer came back, King Shoal will come. It's a sign that the heavenly answers always come back in order. He should have asked the question, Will King Shoal come first, and then will the people hand me over? 
he got one answer he was required to ask again, will the people hand me over? And the answer came back again, yes. So he fled to the city of Zif. This was a continuous pursuit, a chase between King Shaul and King David. King David fleeing from one city to the next, from one village, from one forest to the next, hiding out from King Shaul. Now, Yonah's son came to Ziph first, met King David, and said to him, this was the last opportunity they had to be together, he said to King David, I know, I feel, that you are going to be king, not me. I am the prince, but you deserve being king more than I will. I ask you only that when you become king, allow me to serve you. The Yonah says there is a theory that this shows that Yonah, besides being so great at Sadiq, so pure a person, it showed his extreme humbleness, his modesty. He was now the son of the king, and instead of looking forward to the honor of becoming king, he allowed this honor to pass on to one that he felt was greater than himself. Then they parted for the last time. As we'll see, they never had the chance to meet again due to ensuing circumstances. At this time, the Zephim, the people of Zephim, reported to King Shoal that King David was hiding out there. King Shoal came to the city of Ziph with an army seeking King Shoal, and he had him practically surrounded going around the side of a mountain when suddenly King David was saved because a runner came to King Shoal and told him that the Philistines were attacking elsewhere. He had to withdraw. Otherwise, he might have reached King David and might have killed him. From there, King David went to Engedi, his famous <coughs> village today too. And the report came to King Shoal again that King David is Engedi. King Shoal came there with 3,000 men. He came to a cave, camped there. King David was aware of this, and he spotted him. He waited until he saw King Shoal all alone. He came over to King Shoal, who had left his coat outside this cave, and he cut off the corner of King Shoal's coat. He left then. And then he felt very sorry that he had done it. He regretted this very deeply. Not just to touch the person of a king, a Jewish king, but even to touch his garment. To do a harm to the property of the king he felt was a major crime. He felt very sad about this. And he called, from a distance he called out to King Shoal. And he said to him, My dear father, father and more like a father, he said, Why do you pursue me? What reason do you feel that I am your enemy? I have just proven to you, by cutting off a piece of your coat, that I had the chance to easily kill you. And yet, I did not touch you, I didn't even think, I didn't dream of doing this. You see that my hands are pure. I'm not out to do you any harm whatsoever. Why in turn do you pay me evil for good? Why do you pursue one who is so worthless? I am no more than just a simple worm, as King David said in Tillin, Anochi Tolas. I'm a worm, nothing better. That was the great modesty of King David, one of the three most modest people in history, where he called himself a worm, meaning less even than an animal. And therefore, he said, let Hashem be the judge between us. King Shoal saw this. He realized it. He raised his voice because he realized the truth. When this evil spirit left him, he could see the truth. He started to cry very deeply, and he said, but this is the call of King David and said, I know that you will become king. You deserve being king, and I am fully at guilt. I'm really guilty in pursuing you, and I will not do this any further. With this, he left. For a while, there was peace. Shortly afterwards, Shmuel Hanavi was nostalgic. He passed away.
He mentioned once the Gemara says that he was nostalgic at his own request because he knew that King Shaul was destined to die. He did not want that his closest disciple, King Shaul, the product of his labor, his efforts, should die during his lifetime. This is the case of a Mishakela, a woman who gives birth, raises a child, and the Chasashon, that child dies. All the effort is gone in vain. Here, King Prophet Shmuel prayed to Hashem and said, Take my life before that of King Shaul. For this, he passed away at a very early age, the age of 52. After his nostalgus, he was buried in the city of Ramah. Today, is a very important spot close to Yerushalayim, where they visit the cave of the grave of Shmuel Hanavi. Now, following this, there's a story with a man named Novel. The word Novel, that was his actual name. Novel means disgusting. And the Gemara says that generally, a person is given a name that fits his character, his quality, his nature. This man, Novel, had a wife whose name was Abigail, who was the other extreme, a tzaddikus. Now, Novel was very wealthy, extremely wealthy, and King David had helped him some time previously. So, David sent messengers to Novel, asking him to contribute some food for King David's men. 600 men needed food desperately. Novel turned them down very bitterly said, you are rebels, I won't have anything to do with you, starve. The man came back, reported to King David, and King David said to the men, gird yourselves, put on your swords, we're going out to wipe out this evil person. They got ready to be prepared, and they started to march on towards the home of Novel. They had to go through mountain passes. Meanwhile, Abigail, the wife of Novel, heard about this. She quickly loaded a few mules with bread, wine, fruit, with meat, large amount of provisions, and she began this ride towards King David. She rode around one mountain pass, he was coming towards her, and as she saw him, she dismounted from her horse. She came before him, she bowed, and she said, Please allow me to say a few words. My husband, Novel, has a name that describes him fully. He does not appreciate what you have done for him, and please allow me to take the blame. I was not there at the time your messengers came. Had I been there, I would have surely given them all their necessities. Meanwhile, I brought this gift to you, and I beg of you, for your sake, do not proceed any further. Do not spill Jewish blood. Have faith that because of the evil act of Nabal, Hashem will punish him himself. He'll die anyhow. Meanwhile, your hands will be pure for spilling Jewish blood. And since I am certain that you will become king, I ask that when you do, please think of your slave. The Gemara says that Abigail was a tzaddikus, sort of a prophet in a sense, prophetess, and she possessed, again, an unusual beauty, one of the rare beauties of all time. King David saw her, he heard these words, he said to Abigail, you have really saved me now, because I realize now what an error it would have been to kill Nabal and his men, they're Jewish. Therefore, for your sake, I'm returning, and as you said, when the time comes, I will take care of you. Miguel returned home, she told Nabal what had happened, and he told her, says that Nabal's heart sank. He was filled with such a panic and fear, 
fact that King David had come to kill him, this fear led him into illness, and in ten days' time he died. Shortly afterwards, King David called Abigail and took her for a wife. Now, as is known in those days, it was permissible to marry more than one wife, and as we learn in the Gemara, a king was allowed a maximum of 18 wives. That was the royal number. 18 wives was the maximum, and of course it's important to point out that the Jewish kings were tzaddikim. They did not pass that number, as we'll see the next year in Gemara. Uh, for that reason, it's important to state, too, that Shlomo HaMelech naturally would not break that rule. The Gemara says, though we find in the Pusik, it seems that he did, the Gemara itself states that only a fool would say that King Shlomo, King Solomon, committed a sin, a crime there. There is something much deeper involved. Uh, I got, by the way, we won't go into this in depth, but this novel, the Zorak Kodesh says it, Rabbi Shemi Chayizal says there's something very deep and hidden, a deep secret about novel, which we cannot discuss. That's the words of Rabbi Shemi Chayizal and the Zorak Kodesh. Rizal says that the time has come for us to discuss it. So many years later. Rizal says that Lovon, Lovon, the father-in-law of Yaakov Avino, Lovon, who was a Russia, was very wicked, lived actually three times. That's why he was called Lovon. First time, a Lama is Lovon. Second time, he was a Goy. He came back again a second time as Bilam, the Bays. And Bilam's evil was unsurpassed. Yet, he did have one prayer that was said with earnestness, with sincerity. A tefillah that is said with sincerity, even if it comes from the worst rush in the world, is not ignored in heaven. This much was granted him. His tefillah was, He prayed that his end should be like that of the Jews. He should be zilcha to be like the Jews. And therefore, as we said, Lovon, Lamed, Lovon, Beis, Bilam, and Nun was Novo. Bilam came back, Lovon came back a third time after Bilam as Novo, he died as a Jew, but of course an evil one because he still had that evil nature. The, his root was one of evil. This was the secret of Novo. Despite this, we see that Novo had a wife, Abigail, who was so great at Sadekis that she was Zelcha to become the wife of King David. Now, after this case, the Zephim reported to Shoal, King Shoal, that King David was there in their vicinity. He came to pursue, to seek out King David. He came with Avner and 300 men. King David had as his generals two brothers, Yoav, a very powerful general, and Avishai, the brother of Yoav. Avishai was also very strong, and they noticed, they watched King Shoal. They saw where he camped. Avishai said to King David, we could sneak in and get at King Shoal, while he's asleep. They stealthily crept over to where King Shoal was, and Avishai wanted to kill King Shoal. He was very loyal, fiercely loyal to King David. It meant nothing to him to do anything to give his life to King David. And King David cried out, that we should lay a hand on the one who was anointed by order of Hashem, anointed as king of the Jews. If he is to die, let him die through the hand of Hashem, not through us. Meanwhile, we cannot touch him, but let us take his spear and his canteen. With this, we can again show him the facts. 
They stole his spear and canteen. They went up to the top of the mountain. And there, King David called out. He had a very clear voice. Benadol says that King David's voice was very sharp, very clear, and very majestic. He called out to Avner, the general of King Shoal. Avner rose up. They were asleep at the time. Avner rose up very angrily and said, How do you dare to call out so loudly to awaken our king? And King David replied, You, Avner, loyal general of King Shoal, you and all your soldiers deserve death because you have failed in your duty, you were derelict in protecting the king. You went to sleep instead of guarding the king. The king could have been killed. At that moment, King Shoal heard this. He got to be heard this. He called out, Is that you, my son, King David? And King David replied, Yes, it is. And again, I ask you, why do you continue to pursue me? Why do you continue to chase one who is truly devoted to you, has never done you any harm, has never intended doing you harm? Proof, again, is I have your spear and your canteen of water. Couldn't I easily have killed you if I was your enemy? Do you need any further proof than this? King Shoal began to cry again. He said, you are very right, and you've proven to me more than enough about your loyalty to me. I promise you the last time that I will never again seek to hurt you. King David said, send one of your boys up here, and I'll return your spear and your canteen. I don't want to keep any property of the king. King Shoal sent it. He sent it up, and... He returned this to King Shoal. He sent the boy to return it to him. And from there, King Shoal went home. He returned home, and as he said, he never again tried, attempted to reach King David. Meanwhile, King David wasn't certain that King Shoal's word would be true. His life would still be in danger. And so he decided that he would definitely be safer with the Philistines. He would go to see the king of the Philistines face to face. Offish the king of Gas, speak to him and convince him to be persuasive enough to convince him that he should allow King David to live in the land of the Philistines. He came to Ochish the king of Gas. He appeared before him and said, I am King David, but I've come to you. The fact that I'm here should be proof enough. The fact that I've come here is only because I want to desert the Jews. I will not be with them anymore. It would be to your advantage to have one like me on your side. I ask only to give me a separate village where I can live with my 600 men, and I can do a lot to help you. Reveal the secrets of the Israelis, help you in your plans for battle. I know a lot of military secrets, and you need no further proof of my sincerity, other than that I come to you to risk my life. His words were very convincing, and Achish was happy to have King David on his side. He gave him the city of Tziklag, a small village that was used exclusively for King David and his men. They settled there, and they stayed there until, remained there until after the final war, which King Shoal participated. While there, King David did not want to waste any time. As long as I'm here, he said, let's accomplish something. Let's use underground tactics terrorist tactics in cutting down bit by bit the size of our enemy. And so he reported to King Achish in a very friendly manner. Emil, he said, I'm going to a meeting. We're going up north 
for a little hunting, a little visit. So he accepted these words properly. The next day, Achish said to King David, where were you last night? And he said, we went up north, just uh, on, a, on a march, a little hike. He said, it's a shame you went up north because down south there was a bloodbath. One of our villages was completely wiped out. We lost a lot of soldiers there. King David said, is that so? If I would have been there, I would have helped. He said, well, next week we'll go south. Perhaps they'll be attacked again. The truth was, of course, that King David had told him we're going north to mislead him. Meanwhile, he went with his men south. He wiped out this whole village of Philistines, came back and pretended to feel very sorry for them. The next week, he told me he was going south. He actually went north. This time, he wiped out a second village up north. He reported to the king, I went south looking for the enemy. I didn't find them. The king said, you missed the enemy because they were up north. He said, what a shame. So this went on without ever being detected. It was only some of the followers of Ochish, the king of Gas, who felt they had a slight suspicion that King David could not really have deserted his people because he still maintained his pure religious attitude. It was only Ochish who was completely misled who felt a deep liking for King David. So he stayed on there. Now we must return to clarify one item about which Rabbein speaks at length and something which must be instilled in every Jew's mind and heart. A question that is most prevalent for generations, one that strikes every Jew at some time, and the answer which is vital. Question, how come that the Torah states again and again that King Shaul was a tzaddik gomor? Tzaddik gomor means a complete tzaddik without a sin to his name. How come that the day before his passing, he got a message from Shmuel the prophet from heaven, the message was, you are a tzaddik, you are going to rise up to the highest level of Ganadin. How is it possible that a tzaddik, so pure, so fine, so perfect, should dream even, should actually attempt to kill a Jew, not just a Jew, but King David, greatest of all Jews at that time, one of the greatest of all time. How is it possible for any Jew, even an evil Jew, to commit murder, especially if a king showed to desire a death, of King David through his own hand. How did he throw the spear, actually? Actually, throw the spear with intent to kill. And therefore, there are some who say that King Shaul was pure, but he committed sins. As for Shaul, that is, of course, a worst falsehood that can be said. The truth is that King Shaul was pure and was perfect. But, as Abinadol says, we must point out that this same question could be asked about many different cases in history. The Torah testifies, that is, Hashem testifies to the purity of the sons of Yaakov Avinu. They were so pure that each one carried the name of Hashem upon him. How could these great tzaddikim, the fathers of the tribes of Israel, have actually, physically, attempted to kill Yosef HaTzaddik, the holiest of all of them? How can we find later on, in later history, throughout history, that the greatest tzaddikim were pursued, were driven, were harassed by other tzaddikim. Later generations we find that the time of, even recently, the time of the Baal Shem Tov, Baal Shem HaKadosh, father of Hasidus, the originator of Hasidim at his time, who were his mortal enemies, the leading rabbis of that time. We won't mention names, but Names that are world famous. Leading rabbis of the Shulchan Aruch who banded together 
to with an attempt to put the Boshem HaKadosh in Chayrim. Akar himself had enemies among the great rabbis of the world. How come even today we find this enmity, this seeming, illusionary enmity among great tzaddikim, among leading rabbis? The answer is that it is the duty of the Satan to try to stop the coming of Mashiach. There's one thing that will bring Mashiach instantly, and that is unity among the Jews. Unity can be only if all Jews will follow one leader, the true tzaddik. Mashiach could have come a long time ago if all Jews had turned to one single leader and accepted him. It is the work, the effort of the Satan, his greatest advantage, to stop others from following a leading rabbi of the world. Now how can he do this? He's got to create friction among the world leaders. How does he do that? How does he succeed in that? The answer there is that the Satan is an extremely learned angel. He is a fantastic lamdan. He is a sage, a scholar, the highest degree. He picks up his knowledge in heaven. And using his knowledge, his Torah knowledge, he injects strong, powerful arguments into the minds of these adversaries, other tzaddikim, that they are performing a mitzvah in harassing, in driving away at this leading tzaddik for the sake of a mitzvah. This leading tzaddik is a chassid who is very religious, but he has strange ideas. They must be stopped. How to stop him is a question of a kuach nefesh, save the lives of other Jews from falling victim to these ideas, even if it means removing him from this world. It's not really murder, it's just sending him to Ganadin that much more quickly. Meanwhile, rescuing others. Well, this sounds very childish and very foolish. Yet it is a fact that the powder wiles, the scheme, the tricks of the Satan, he can poison the minds of the greatest people by using these Talmudic deep arguments to convince them. And with this, he does get to a point where he causes so much friction between the leaders of the Jews that the laymen then do not know which way to turn. They cannot tell which one is right. And therefore there are many who say that if these great leaders, medical leaders, argue among themselves, then none of them are right. They turn away from all of them. This is the victory for the Satan. And therefore Abedinah says that a person whose mind is pure would never see these things. Let's take the true path of a person with pure emuna. He learns about these things, the act of King Shaul, for example, against King David. And his attitude would be, King David was a tzaddik, King Shaul was a tzaddik too. What happened there is something that is hidden. We cannot grasp the meaning of this action, King Shaul throwing a spear. There's something much more deeply than what the words mean. But I firmly believe that Muna Shlema that both were great tzaddikim. The act of the brothers against Yosef at tzaddik, there was something pure involved. The fact that this was the will of Hashem, the Jews should go to Egypt eventually. Something very pure, it sounds like something wrong, but it isn't. We just don't understand it clearly. The act of all great tzaddikim and the battles, the confrontations with other leading tzaddikim, we don't understand them. We know only that they all were pure, they were all great. If a person feels that way, then he himself shows that his mind is pure that his faith is pure. But if a person begins to feel deeply within himself or subconsciously a feeling of rejection of these tzaddikim, he should know that there is a begun, a deficiency in the quality of his faith.
And that is why the Benal says that if a person begins to doubt Tzadikim because of these battles, because of this friction among them, he should know this is a message from heaven notifying him that he must cure himself from this Shedet Shemamayach, a leprosy of the brain. His mind is poisoned. He does not have the, the emunah tahara, the pure faith he's supposed to have, and this is a means of notifying him. He feels there's something wrong. Among great tzaddikim, there's nothing wrong there. There's something wrong within his mind and within his faith. The message for him is to see to it to purify his own faith, and that is done. The best manner is to inspire to pray to Hashem, be a spiritus. Probably to Hashem and beg, plead before Hashem that his mind should become purified, that his faith should become stronger, that he have an implicit faith in Hashem and in all tzaddikim. This is the reason for him seeing, his feeling, the, what he thinks is wrong among great tzaddikim. A person could reach that level, or in his eyes, all tzaddikim are holy. Every one of them is pure, then he knows that his emuna is pure in Hashem too. Then he can feel proud that his, when he says, I believe in the, with implicit faith in Hashem. In the words of the Torah, that his statement is a true one and accepted in heaven. Because always, these two go together, they cannot be separated. Faith in Hashem and faith in Sadiqim are one. Just as faith in Hashem and faith in the Torah, the word of Hashem is one. That is why, again, we say, and I want this with a record, our record, future record in heaven, that King Shaul was a tzaddik gomor. Whatever happened in this story is something we cannot fully grasp. It is something heavenly, but physically, materially, King Shaul was perfect in his sitkus, as the Torah itself testifies, and he was a ben, ben shona b'mocho. He was as pure as a child. He achieved the highest level of Kedusha as testified by, by Shmuel Adavi. So that King David and King Shaul were both fit to be called Malchai Yisrael, the kings of the Jews. Let's strengthen ourselves, fortify ourselves with this Amunatahida in the Tzadik of Amitim, and in this Sechus we will certainly merit seeing the coming of Mashiach, Bina Besamikdash, Amen, Amen.